welcome to Lawali Life, the podcast. I'm Alice Law, your host and founder of Lawali Life, which is my coaching practice I've set up to help stress professionals and entrepreneurs to decrease, manage, and get rid of stress whilst improving their professional and personal performance. I take a very holistic approach to stress management, and this podcast is based purely around stress and loss and is a mixture of conversations with leaders in their fields from top CEOs, neuroscientists, authors, and other coaches and spiritual thought leaders, guiding you through how they overcame their personal stress and losses and how you can overcome yours. Today's guest is the amazing Tim Cooper, who is an international performance and recovery coach, speaker, and author of the book, The Art of Unlearning. Tim is very open, candid, zero filter, which is why I love him. And he speaks very honestly and open and candidly about some really important topics such as suicide, drug addiction, and other things he's had to overcome and come back from. I hope it opens your eyes up to what people should be allowed to talk about and the difference in being able to do so. We have with us today Tim Cooper, who is a recovery coach and an amazing guest. Very excited to have you here today, Tim. Thank you very much for offering to uh, let me speak on your podcast, Alice. No, it's wonderful to have you. Tim is an amazing all-round coach, mindset expert, recovery coach, mental health, just a lot of stuff going on there, so it's great to talk to you. (laughs) So you define yourself as a recovery coach. Um, so what does exactly recovery mean to you? Because I'm sure people will be interested to know. Well, I think um, first and foremost, when you hear the word recovery, we can't help but to go to addiction of some sort. And um, although I've uh, got a pretty decent skill set in that area, it's not what I mean when I sort of brand myself as a recovery coach. Um, recovery for me means that I work with people that have had something, then they've lost it, but now they want to get it back bigger, badder than they've ever had it before. And there's, so there's so, loads of different elements to that answer. Um, but ultimately, it means that taking somebody from a place of um, having something, not had it, and then taking them uh, back to a better place and um, making them lock into all of the amazing things that got them to what they had in the first place and removing all of those uh things that got them in the hole let's say so that's what I do yeah that's great because as the listeners might know by now it's um this podcast is looks at stress and loss and it's loss in that way because loss doesn't have to mean grief and recovery doesn't have to mean addiction so it's redefining what that kind of means for people which is which is what's interesting so when it comes to stress and struggle what's the greatest sort of recovery you've had to come back from in that side oh that's probably my own (laughs) (laughs) definitely my own Uh, I've had to recover myself from a place of um, committing suicide of being down a real dark hole I've had to uh, redesign and transform myself from a place of um, drug addiction um, but also as as well from a place of um, you know going after the wrong things and um, not really being in alignment with who I am today and uh, that's a long story. I'm not here to plug my book, but I'm going to Alice. But how did you get into that situation? <laughs> so um, I'll try and <laughs> plug away, Tim. Plug away. <laughs> I'll try and cut this short because everyone asks me, and I end up going on one ear. But 
basically growing up, my mum and dad gave me and my sister the best opportunities. And um, I remember that, you know, we come from a place, let's say, status-wise, social status-wise, of sort of lower middle class. Um, and I remember walking home from school and seeing all the nice cars, the Ferraris and the Aston Martins and all this stuff. I was like, one day, I'm going to have one of them cars. I'm going to have the clothes. I'm going to have this. And um, so to cut a real super long story short, I met a woman, uh, fell in love with her, um, and her family, let's say, um, were always trying to push me out because uh, I didn't really align with their social status. So they was quite silver spoon. I'd come from a place where um, my mum and dad had their backs up against the wall, and um, which is not, there's nothing wrong with either of those things, by the way. Um, but how you conduct yourself around different people, I feel that that's where it sort of went wrong. So I was always put uh, pushed into a corner to know a certain wine or uh, a geographical place or you know something that I just didn't know. And yeah. um, they made their, uh, they did their best, sorry, to belittle me uh, on many occasion. And um, so uh, that led to a real rocky patch in in our marriage. And um, so I didn't even mention I got married to this woman. So I got married <laughs> to her. So irrelevant it is now. And um, so anyway, it led to a real rocky uh, marriage. And then that started to, to break up. When I was in that marriage, I had all of those things that I used to go after. The cars, the watches, flying business class and all this sort of stuff. And um, I was letting them define me um, as a person. And, you know, for, for me... Um, I lost who I was. I lost the relationship with myself. And um, as the marriage started to break down, we started to get a divorce. And that's when I hit rock bottom from that moment. Started to do a lot of drugs. Um, had loads of money around me at that time. Got a big payout for the house. Um, there's loads of other stuff going on in the background. Um, again, it's a story too long to tell on this podcast. But um, from that moment, I went on this like self-destruction, Tim mm -hmm. Cooper mode sleeping with prostitutes like every night, sniffing cocaine every night, drinking every night. Um, my apartment was like Vegas. It was a joke. And I found out a lot about the people around me at that time who was, um, you know, contributing to that, you know, continuing and those that didn't. So I found out a lot about my friends and values. And um, there was this one time where it was the night after the night and uh, I was ringing around trying to get some more gear on the phone. No one had answered the phone to me. And um, I was like, right. I looked at the coffee table and there was a reminiscence of the, like, that night before. There was Coke on it, rolled up notes, credit cards, bloody knickers everywhere. <laughs> like, honestly, Alice, seriously. It's so far from who I am now. So I'm telling this story. I'm like, well, you wanted this, right? So I'm giving it to you. We like the raw... Yeah, I only know rawness, right? I only know rawness, authenticity. And um, anyway, I said, oh, I need to get myself some food. Anyway, I drove up um, to McDonald's, classy, and um, I was in my favourite car, which is C63 AMG Mercedes. I always wanted this car. I pulled down the visor and looked at myself in the drive-thru, and I just didn't recognise who I was. And um, I'd lost who I was. And um, in that moment, I decided that I was going to follow through on the plan that I'd been thinking about for so long, which was to take my own life. And I remember driving down that road. Uh, I undone all of the windows and I was screaming 
at, like emotionally at the top of my voice. I didn't know what I was doing. And um, I knew where I was going to do it. I was going to come off the roundabout by my mum's and I was just going to put it straight into the wall um, because I knew the car would do like 0 to 60 in four seconds and I'd be gone. And um, anyway, I come off that roundabout and it was March the 16th. So the sun was sitting quite low and um, it caught me as I come off the roundabout and I took my foot off the accelerator. And um, as that happened, it was like time stood still. And um, I had this out of body experience where it was like a visualization moment and I was at my own funeral and um, all of my mum, my dad, my sister and all my friends were surrounding me and they were saying, oh, Tim was really nice. He was a great guy, but it was his marriage that killed him in the end. He just couldn't come back from it. And then, Alice, then <laughs> I found a grit a determination, a strength that I've never tapped into before in my whole entire life. Something, funny enough, that had already always been in me, let's say. Well, yeah, um, that's what's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like, that's your yeah. true self. There's the you know rock I mean? bottom. Yeah. There's the, the, it's so true. That was my conscious self. I've been living my life off of my subconscious beliefs that have been made up through all of these experiences that I'd had, all of the I'm not good enough until I get, I'll be all right just when, I just need to, you know, I was that guy. And um, that time I, I remember I took my foot off the accelerator and then as, and as it happened and I was all around my funeral, I was like, you know, I just can't go out like this. I can't. I've got so much to offer, you know. I was always soul of the party, you know. <laughs> I was always the guy that people would come to and ask for advice and... But you and, still are. <laughs> yeah, I still am. Yeah, yeah, on a new level now, which is nice. And so I then pulled into the bus stop and I just like broke down. I was like crying for like two hours. People like tapping on the window. Are you right, Tim? Blah, 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 blah. And um, I, was, I didn't say nothing. And um, I remember pulling up to my mum's and she opened the door and I fell through it into the door, into her arms like a baby. Like my legs, like somebody just taken my legs off. I was gone emotionally as everything was sucked out of me. And I remember saying to my mum at that time, and I just still don't know where this come from. I remember saying to my mum at that time that, do you know, I said, mum, like I've destroyed myself. But I tell you right now, I'm going to redesign myself. I'm going to come back somebody that I'm not today. And that's what I've done. So um, there was loads of relapses along the way, but I won't mention them. <laughs> um, but there was, but there was this one moment. I'd love to say it was plain sailing from there, Alice, but it'd be... Um, it not would the be way a, life is. No, it's not. It'd be, it'd be a complete lie. And um, But there was this one turning point that changed everything for me in my whole life up until this moment. And uh, it was, again, I was making a phone call trying to get more gear. No one would pick up the phone. And I remember I just turned to the left and caught the TV out of the side of my uh, eye. And it was a UNICEF advert. And there was this little black boy and he was trying to scoop out some water in this little stream. And I think he was in the favelas or somewhere in Africa or somewhere like really run down. And then I was like, bloody hell, look at, look at this. Like it took me out the moment of trying to get the, the gear. Then the cameraman turned to the other side and it was another little black boy and he was pissing in it. And I was like, this boy's scooping out this other kid's urine and I'm sitting here trying to get more gear. Are you joking, Tim? Wake up. And so I had like £300 left in my account out of all the money that I got paid out. And I rung up that charity and I gave it every single penny to it. And um, 
I'd like to say I didn't know how I was going to eat and all that, but I would have just gone to my mum's. You know, she would have looked after me. But when I gave that money over, Alice, it was um, it was like not all of my problems had gone away, but I realised that I was giving them too much meaning. Yeah. And that was the day that I decided that I was going to go back and help people in the position that I once was. And that's what I do now. Yeah, that's such a powerful thing, isn't it? I mean... What I find really interesting about what you said is that the loss of identity through that, because I think people largely, when you're going through a time of real stress or, you know, loss or whatever that is, you lose your identity and become so attached to what that is and the meaning of the stress that comes alongside your work or the the identity that you had when that person or that situation was around you. And then you think, oh, my God, who am I now? I think we um, all of us wear loads of different masks at different times in our lives to protect us and it's not until we actually put all of those masks in a box and say I'm not going to open you anymore that you really find your truth and you then become so much more better equipped not just to look after you but to contribute and give back to other people and um, so many men are not willing to do that well, that's what's so interesting is that there's that book, um, Lewis Howes has a great book called The Nine yes, Masks yeah, of Masculinity. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's all about those societal masks. And if, if anyone hasn't read it, who's a man or a woman, you should read it because it's amazing. But it, what it shows you is that there's all these masks and you will recognise one man in your life, whether it's your dad, your brother, your mm-hmm. friend, your husband, your boyfriend, who's wearing at least two or three or one of those masks. And it's such an interesting thing. So why do you think... Especially say, okay, with being vulnerable with mental health for men, for stress and anxiety or depression, why do you think it is such a societal sort of taboo still for them to be just open about the struggle until it almost becomes too debilitating? Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, being open to it takes courage. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of courage. Um, and it takes um, you being a place where you've had enough. And it doesn't mean you have to go and do what I did and nearly take your own life. Like, it could be on any level, right? There's loads of layers to it. But um, I think with, especially now, it's becoming um, more evident that guys need to talk about this more. I get a lot of, I mean, you've just seen one guy leave here, right? Same, yeah. we're doing exactly the same stuff. And um, there'll be so many guys, I tell you right now, I, I, in fact, I tell you what's actually happening. Guys aren't even reading Lewis Howe's book. The women are reading it to understand the men more. Yeah, that's very true. Because the men are too scared to read it. That's, <laughs> so that's, they're, they're too worried. They're too worried. I read it for my clients. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So they're too worried about what they're going to find out about their self because it's, it's so much easier for you to sit back and, you know, walk off the back of the same excuses that you've had your whole life because it doesn't take transformation to do that. And um, I think uh, especially with men, we've been um, conditioned um, in society, let's say, um, from from a long time, to become the breadwinner, to become the man, to become the guy that holds the fault down, you know, the provider. And the provider was never seen to be standing in the arena of vulnerability right because it creates that because what this is really all about Alice what we're talking about here is ego that's what this really really is and um but this this ego comes from generations and generations and it's only now that people are putting their neck on the line 
um, to talk about mental health more. And I think this is the thing with guys, right? As soon as you say the word mental, like, ah! guys are like, what do you mean? I need to be locked up in a room and isolated for like 10 weeks. It's like, so no, true. mate. Like, come on. Like, this is not about... don't mean that mental. <laughs> I'm saying like... Are there things mentally going on that are not serving you right now? And why is it? And, and, and I think it's about, you know, creating a better understanding of who you are. And, and I don't think um, any transformation, Alice, or shift takes place unless you truly decide to find that you want more in life. Otherwise, you'll just keep doing and sticking to what you're doing and keep getting what you're getting. And I think um, that's, you know, with, with the whole men's health um, issue right now, Behind it, there are so many elements. This could be like a ten-hour podcast <laughs> yeah. talking about talking about men's mental health. But you know what it really comes down to is like men see courage as vulnerability, and when there's vulnerability involved, that does not connect or align with the ego. In fact, it disconnects, and we all go in search of things external to try and make ourselves happy internally. I see it all of the time. Yeah. I'll be happy when I just need to get to. I'm like, you know what? You don't. You've already got it. That's why I called my book, plug, 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 <laughs> The Art of Unlearning. Because it's about actually removing things that are not serving you rather than trying to add more things. And I think once we start to do that and uncover and strip those layers of that onion, I call it, peeling it off, peeling it off, you get to the core. And the core is you completely 100% self-aware. But some people aren't willing to go on that um, mission of self-discovery but it's interesting though isn't it like you say the generational gap because that's something i'm very familiar with because as you know i had i lost my dad um a few months ago and he was Mm. 82 but he struggled in the last four years with depression and stress and grief more than i've ever seen anyone and it was that generational gap of him first of all being sure that he was always the masculine figure Mm. in our household and he was like he gave us a wonderful life but when that identity kind of got shattered in the last four years he really didn't like that at all because Mm. that was who that was a part of who he was and I think that's such an interesting conversation because the generational gap needs to change of what men are able to admit to sooner before stress and things manifest into an actual physical disease like it did with my dad it's the whole ethos behind why we're here and what our purpose is and i can tell you by coaching a lot of high level ceos entrepreneurs business owners um, although it's a recovery coach obviously my title it's funny because people get me in because they feel that they want me to up their performance in their workplace Right, and put them number one or generate more turnover or profit or put them into first place somewhere. And um, there's always the same state that takes place. It's the pressure. Mm. that The pressure to provide the clients that want absolute blood out of these people. And this is what people are doing right now. They are going to the toilet in work. They're putting their hands between their head and they're saying... How do I make this stop? Because so many people are fantastic externally at showing you who they are, but they're internally bankrupt. They are. I know it. It used to be me. I used to have all those things, right? And I'm building up and I'm getting some of those things back, but they don't define who I am, Alice. And this is the thing. When you get up in the morning 
and you look back at yourself in that mirror, it's you against you. Yeah. And if you are not connecting with yourself in a way that you know is going to move you forward and serve you, right, genuinely, then you're going to create burnout. You're going to create that internal bankruptcy like I just spoke about. And so many men, I would love to get a stat, right, that if we was in a room, a safe place, and we just got a thousand men in there that literally get up in the morning and the old internal dialogue starts to talk to them back in that mirror, I guarantee you'd probably have 95, nearly 100% of men will be saying, when I get up in the morning, I look back at myself, the things that I'm saying to myself, the language that I'm using with myself is not really serving me moving forward. But I'll forget about that anyway because I'm just going to go to my job and it earns me 2 million or 3 million. I've got the Porsche I drive to and all the rest of it. Pressurising yourself. Yeah, and in short, Alice, it's all bollocks. (laughs) It is, isn't it? It's that um, classic thing of like the societal expectations. And I was in an amazing training last week with um, Ra Goddess, who's an incredible sort of soulpreneur. Her whole mission is to make people lived fully into their purpose and she said something that stuck with us all so much which was the only job you have here is to turn up as your true self and the rest will fall into place so true it's so true alice everything that i've got now everything my coaching business the material stuff has all come from one place showing up as tim cooper every day with absolutely no like um What's the word I'm looking for here? Unapologetically. Yeah, absolutely. That's where it's all come from. That's the greatest gift. But so in that situation, like you're a man who's been able to do that. What do you think is one like sort of quick mindset shift you would start with to sort of release the masks and try and make a difference in a man's life, you know, to turn up as themselves? Well, that's a great question, by the way. And... I suppose we don't really go after and get the life that we want until we truly find out who we are. Yeah. So then you, I would say that if a man's listening to this, if you keep asking yourself the same questions, you're going to get the same answer. And that might sit you in a little place of comfort right now, but life's going to come and bite you on the ass when you least expect it. If you're not tapping into that other little guy, that you know, that little devil that sits on your shoulder, <laughs> that little git him you need to start asking him some other questions you know one of the questions that I asked at all of my talks seminars workshops wherever I talk and it always gets the audience in like "Mm." and it's so easy and it is who are you I said get your journals out get a pen and I want you to write down who are you and I know there's loads of different elements to that uh, to, to answer that question but ultimately just by what you start writing will always tell you who you think you are already. And there's that identity again. Oh, uh, you know, I'm Alice. I do podcasts. I'm 28. Like, are you 28? I'm 29. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. It'll come up as um, most people when they answer that question, like you say, it's like, I'm a lawyer or yeah, yeah. I'm a banker. I'm a coach. I'm a whatever. It's like, it's I'm like, a mask. Take off that's all that. Yeah. Who are you at your actual yeah, yeah. core? And exactly. That's what, not that. a lot of people can answer that. No, they can't. It's um, so if your audience, yeah, get your journals out, get your pen down, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and try and answer that one. And and it's funny because the, you ask yourself that question every day, the more layers you strip as the time goes. And then again, it's about the repetition 
of the quality of the questions, which change the quality of the dialogue, which change the quality of the emotions, and the quality of your daily emotions determine the quality of your life. Yeah, and that's so true. So ask yourself better questions if you want a better life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, though. But what would you say... Um, so if someone's going through a real time of, of struggle or stress... Is that the one thing you'd set them to start to do, ask that question, or is there another tool that you would say start immediately? Oh, if you're going through a struggle or stress, the the ultimate tool for self-awareness is the journal. Yeah. It's hands down the best tool ever. I definitely agree. It's also therapeutic. It's very, yeah. And I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what the journal is. The journal is a non-judgmental bit of paper that doesn't answer back. Exactly. Right? And you can put... (laughs) <laughs> whatever you want in that journal and that's what I love about it the F you journal yeah, yeah you don't want to read my journal you start my dialogues like Alice so uh, no filter guys say no, no more zero there for you a few boobs in this, in this podcast but you know this is where it all starts because the journal itself the reason it's so good for self-awareness is because it's a tracking and measuring system. That's what the journal is for for me. It's not just much, not so much something that I unload in, right? It's great to unload, but also as well, it's great to go back and reflect. Excuse me. And if you go back and reflect, you can pick up patterns. Oh, I'm talking to myself. Oh, this happens on this day. Or, you know, this is after a weekend. Or, you know, the last week I haven't been talking to myself, um, you know, or, or sorry, the last week, I've been talking to myself in a certain way that isn't serving me. What is going on in my life in that week? Oh, let me get the journal out. It's a fantastic tracking system. It really, really is. And um, so so for me, it's about free-flowing in that journal. Yeah. And so many people are like, well, I don't know how to journal. Well, your way of journaling is your way. There is no way to journal. It's all specific to the person. If you want to write you know, in phrases, if you want to write essays... You know, if you want to answer questions, if you want to do any form of gratitude, whatever that is, it's your way. Exactly. And <clears throat> write to yourself, write to someone else. Yeah, exactly that. And, and, and this is what I always say to people. The best thing about the start is that you're never there again. So when you start the process, it already means you've created a shift already. So the journal's the, the key for me, I think. Yeah, and I love that. I think it's something that's um, sort of almost been lost is... Well, people think people often think of journaling and diaries it's like dear diary when you're six, they and do, it's kind yeah. of like yeah. it's just such an incredible tool, and it goes so far beyond that. Some of my clients journal and send me it in a PDF. There you go. And it's just their way, though. It's just their way, way, way of doing it because we're all, we all operate differently. I love that. I mean, there's scientifically, if you're getting the pen out and the paper. It, it's a whole different experience yeah. and it creates a whole different shift. But do you know what? Maybe, just maybe, if you're journaling right now and sending it to me in a PDF, in six months' time, you might be like, do you know what? I'm going to get the pen out. I'm going to get the journal out. And that's, again, it's the start, isn't it? It's about, it's about the progress. You know, how many times have we heard it? it's, you know, it's progress, not perfection. And it's exactly the same with journaling, you know? Yeah, and it's, good. it's such a great way of tracking I love progress. it. I, I love it. I love the journal. It's fantastic. It's my go-to. You can't keep us away from the journals. Every... No. <laughs> <laughs> but so with mindset, what do you do for your mindset every day? I've got routines and rituals. 
Yeah. I, I would say the biggest, uh, second, or actually the two biggest thing, number one is, is journaling. I ask myself 10, 12 questions every single day. Um, even if I get my phone out right now, the first thing it will say on my phone in my calendar every single day journal is not even that. What is the purpose of today, Tim? I like that question. What is the purpose of today? And I don't mean, oh, it's to, you know, lift another 10 kilos at the gym. <laughs> no, it's not. What is the real purpose of today? Why are you here, mate? Why did you not put yourself into the wall? I go back to that a lot, Alice. I've got that as, as a as a point of reference that I can go back to. And um, so I make sure that I'm always setting the intention every single day. Huge part of um, my mindset comes from my training, comes from fitness, movement, exercise, flexibility, mobility, you name it, heart rate, you know, lactate threshold, all different types of training that I do. Um, I get so much confidence from that. And also as well, when you're... um, when you train, when you work out, it releases loads of different chemicals in the body, right? And it releases that creativity chemical as well. Um, the same one as we get when we come out of um, alpha state of sleep into Vader. And, you know, so for me, creativity within inside my process, processes in, in my content, in my clients, all comes from training. Because when I'm in the gym... I'm already achieving something already from the fact that I'm stepping in there, let alone what I do when I'm in there. It sets me up for the day. It's like I'm already accomplishing something already. It's yeah. like making your bed when you first get up, right? It's the same stuff for me. Um, so my, my mindset comes from journaling and it comes from training. Um, and then after that, I do a lot of personal development. Loads of stuff that people don't see, which I love. And that's what's great that I think when you say asking yourselves those intentional questions in the morning. I always think you have an outer circle of questions people ask themselves, which is like, what meetings have I got today? You know, who have I got to meet? What have I got to do? Mm-hmm. Where have I got to go? If you come back into like the inner layer of questions and coming back to something that's really core and key to you, like you go back to that moment where you nearly killed yourself. Mm-hmm. I often go back to thinking about, you know, I've lost two immediate family members. Mm-hmm. So I think to myself, what can I still do because I'm here? You know, how can I serve because I am still here, lucky enough to be here? And it's coming back to those bigger questions, I think, that gives you more meaning. And if you implant that into your subconscious in the morning, then it will naturally, whether you want it to or not, go look for that for the rest of the day for you. I love questions in the morning that create urgency. I think urgency in the morning uh, for me is super important as, as exactly the same as reflection in the evening and calmness is super important. Yeah. Um, because when I get up, I want to get up on fire. When I go to sleep, I want to be like a little baby angel. <laughs> so I want to sleep like, ah, oh, zen, <laughs> you know. So I prep and prime myself for both the start and the finish of the day. And that's why I ask myself these questions that create the urgency. Little questions like, you know, Tim, if this was your last week here, how would you show up? Yeah. What would you be doing right now? Would you be uh, procrastinating? I don't think you would, mate. No, exactly. You wouldn't. It's like that Steve Jobs um, quote, isn't it? If today was the last day of your life, would you want to live it the same way you had? And if the answer is no on too many days in a row, you know you need to change something. Yeah. Which I love. Great, that is. So I always ask everyone these questions at the end. So Alice. It's uh, good to know for everyone good advice on what to pick up and read and... 
live by. So what's one book that has changed your life or inspired you the most that you've learned from? Um, I would say Jim Rowan, Seven Secrets. I think it's Seven Secrets to Success and yeah, Happiness. He's wonderful. Yes. He was my he got me out of where I was. I used to listen to him continuously on the way to work. I could tell you word for word his seminars, his workshops, his quotes, and I just love his old his like his whole ethos of what he's all about. That is a fantastic book. And it's so funny because as you said that, I just literally sent that to somebody earlier to prove it. Look, it's in the second message. <laughs> there you go. Oh, seven strategies for wealth and happiness. There it is. What's I've read it favorite? so many times I've forgotten it. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite quote by him? Uh, I would probably say my favourite quote by Jim Rowan is the. Um, oh, there's a few, you know, but I'm trying. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm trying to get the best, best one. I know <laughs> loads of them. The major key to your better future is you. Yeah, I love that. It's so powerful. So yeah, true. I love it. Absolutely love that. I used to have that on my wall. I did a rowing challenge. Again, it's in the book. I did a rowing challenge <laughs> for uh, Great Ormond Street. Um, and it was 200,000 metres on the rower. And um, I had that quote up before I took on that challenge. And I never forget, as I was going through that challenge, that was visualised right in the front of my brain. That is the major key to your better future, Tim, is you. And I was like, it's all on you. It's like you decide how this ends. Yeah. Everything. You decide. You get. There might be external things going on that can try to infiltrate your thoughts. But ultimately, mate, this is down to you. And uh, I suppose I should get this up in this place, right? Yeah, you should. I'm looking around. I'm looking around now thinking, where's all my quotes gone? <laughs> She's moved them. It's married life for you, Alice. Well, yeah. <laughs> Happily. Congratulations, new marriage. Thank you. But... Okay, so one last thing then. What is one intentional mantra that you like to live by every day? Oh, one intentional mantra. I would probably say for me, you mean ritual-wise or... Just the sort of sentence you like to live something, into. Something I would probably say, oh, that's very sick, like, again, it's Jim Rowney, mm. let, let's say, but you'll laugh at this because it's so me. <laughs> I've got it on my phone. It says, fucking show up. <laughs> that is very you. <laughs> it's so me. And when I, so, because when somebody hears that, they'll be like, mm, that's a bit much, Tim. Calm down. <laughs> Calm down. Calm down, will you? <laughs> um, but that is my language. Yeah. That's how I, and, and, and for me, show up always takes me again back to that place where I wasn't showing up. In, in, in my relationships, with my mindset, my psychology, with my business, you know, financially, whatever it is, that literally just says, right, we're going to cut through all the bullshit. Show up, Tim. Show up today. Be your best self. And when I'm my best self, it allows me to contribute and give back to everybody else. So Yeah, I love that. That's my mantra. I can show up. <laughs> Such a good <laughs> There's thing. another beep. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a great conversation. I'm sure everyone really hopefully enjoyed it and got some good tips and mindset from it. Um, if you haven't got Tim's book, The Art of Unlearning, you really should. It's amazing. It's on Amazon, isn't it? It's on Amazon, yeah. 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 And it's, uh, it's just a great way of learning what you need to unlearn, really, and bringing it back to, like we say, like that true core strength. And it's, it's a really great read. And if you'd like to find Tim, Tim, where can they find you? 
or uh, social platforms. So you can find me at the Tim Cooper Academy on Instagram and the same on Facebook. Um, I've got something exciting starting soon. Well, I'm going to mention at the end there, Alex. So just <laughs> had to point that in. It's called the Tim Cooper TV. Uh, and as you know, you're going to be a guest on that soon. So that. Uh, that will be YouTube channel. That'll be up and running very soon. Maybe even um, by the time this podcast is out, uh, you can get me on my website as well, which is www.timcooperacademy.com. And if you want to email me, you can email me at info at timcooperacademy.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. That was amazing. No, thank you for having me on. It's been great. Thanks.